0: Well, he got the summons in the mail and then he texted us about it because we're on a group thread on a text and we share everything about our lives together and he was summoned for jury duty and he wanted sympathy and it's just the wrong text thread if you're looking for sympathy because that's not what we offer, it's not what we provide and we continued to share with him how horrible his experience was going to be and how much he was going to hate it and this week, this past week was the, the week he had to report for jury duty and he decided he was going to give us daily updates, which were just fantastic. Unfortunately, he was released on Wednesday, so that ended some of our fun. But Monday morning, he was just absolutely miserable, which brought delight to the other three members of the tax thread. I'm not really sure what that says about us, uh, but it did. And he was sharing with us how he was in the courtroom and didn't really want to say anything to anybody. He really didn't want to be selected for the jury but he was number nine out of 200 and some, so the odds were really high that he was, going to have to, he was going to have to serve. So he was a little disappointed about that. And then he was asked by four different people how to connect to the Internet while he himself wasn't connected to the Wi-Fi in the courtroom, and so he was a little annoyed about that. And, and we were just sharing with him all kinds of, of wonderful details of the times that we have been selected for jury duty. Now, I've never had... The privilege of serving on a jury, and I hope to never have that privilege. I would be the world's worst juror. I know this. I've been uh, summoned for jury duty one time, and I was luckily dismissed. I know some of you love the idea of jury duty. You're just like, yeah, civic duty. I'd love love to be a participant in that. That's fantastic. And that's great. I have friends like that. I have my, one of my parents is like that. That's that's phenomenal. I'm just not like that. I, I really I'm not. I guess I'm too cynical to to sit on to want to sit on the jury. Just not what I want to do. I remember when I was summoned the one time for jury duty and listening to to some of the overall description of the case that they were about to select the jurors for. The judge uh, preemptively made this comment. He said, sometimes people can become so curious with elements of a case, they lose sight of what really matters. They lose sight of what really matters. And, And I always found that part fascinating of what the judge has said, that sometimes in life we can see this happen as well, that people become so fixated on certain aspects of something that they lose sight of the bigger picture. And this morning, as we continue our look at the book of Genesis, if you have your phones or your tablets, we'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. If you, if you don't, the verse will be available on the screens on the side. If you're streaming from home when we get into the passage here in just a minute, the verse will be available on the screen below. But sometimes, as we walk through scripture, sometimes we can get so perplexed and so fixated on an element or a segment of what Scripture's communicating, that we can lose the bigger point. And this morning is one of those times that if we're not careful, our mind can go in a million different directions because there's there's something mysterious about what we're going to talk about today. And God, in His infinite wisdom, chose not to give us a full description, but He doesn't want us to miss the main point of what He's talking about. So we will start in Genesis 6 in just a minute, but in case you're just joining us, thanks for being here. Thanks for being part of Lakeside. My name is Brian. I'm part of the team here, and we're so glad that you're spending part of your Sunday morning with us, where we've been just the past few weeks, just to catch you up. As we started at the beginning, in Genesis 1, we saw that God created everything. Genesis 2, we saw that God gives us more details on his prized creation, and that's humanity. Genesis 3, the third chapter of the Bible, we screw up everything. We we mess it all up. I mean, it literally took us three chapters into a really big book and we've messed it all up. Uh, Genesis 4 is then the results of what happens after things have been messed up in the first family. Just we see torn apart as a brother murders another brother. Genesis 5, we skipped. You can read it if you have some time, but it's just ge- genealogies, and it lets you know a little bit more of the background, what's going on in, in the line of Seth. Seth, you'll remember, was Adam and Eve's additional son after Cain had killed Abel. And now we pick up to Genesis 6, where this is weird, and it's mysterious, and it's odd, and it's exciting to look at. So Genesis 6, starting verse 1, we read these words, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose now what a beautiful love story this is what I just this is just a beautiful love story that uh, a gentleman sees a woman and he says you're really attractive you'll be my wife and and that's what happened so they would they would then be married now don't get me wrong I think attraction is a very big part of when you're choosing who you want to spend the rest of your life with you probably um, should find somebody that you're attracted to that's there's nothing wrong with that nothing at all in fact I think if if you don't do that you're, you might be a little misguided uh, luckily for us gentlemen women the find the things they generally find attractive uh, it means much easier scale because let's be honest some of us would never be married if it, if it weren't uh, and and so it's it's certainly important to find somebody that you're attractive to, uh, attracted to when you get married. But the problem comes in when you base that decision solely on attraction. When you base that decision solely on attraction, that's where problems arise. Because I don't care how much you are attracted to someone. In the course of a relationship, there's going to be either something they do with their look or there's going to be a sound or a smell they produce, there's going to be something along the line in every relationship where you look at the person that you're in love with and that you're, or were, attracted to and just realize, I'm no longer attracted to this person in this moment. I mean, my wife used to love me. Now if I eat cereal, she won't even be in the same room as me. And I'm like... I can't help it. It's crunchy. What do you want me to do? Swallow it without you. Sh- she literally will not sit in the same room with me when I eat cereal. The woman who used to love me. So there's going to be something in your in the course of your relationship that just repels you. And it doesn't matter how attracted you are to the person. And if you base everything in your relationship on your attraction, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And you've got to make sure that attraction is a piece to the puzzle, but there's got to be more to that puzzle. And here what we see right off the bat is that these are relationships that are solely based on attraction. But there's there's a mystery here that, that we don't fully know the answer to. And this idea of sons of God and daughters of men. Is this talking about godly individuals from the genealogies that we skipped in Genesis chapter 5? You'll remember last week that we saw at the end of the Cain and Abel story, we saw what had happened to Cain's descendants, and how the descendants of Cain chose to use Cain as an invitation to do whatever they wanted. And not only were they evil people, but they boasted about it, and they bragged about it, and we just saw how that foundation just just became more and more evil as the genealogies went along. So Genesis 5 lets us into the picture of Seth. And we see that Seth picks up for Abel, where Abel had been murdered, and Seth and and his lineage were people who made the decision to follow God and trust God and put their faith in God. So are we talking here about godly men who decided... I know she's wicked, but she looks good doing it, so we're just going to be married. Or, is the sons of God a reference to angels? Angels who are corrupted by lust? Or, are sons of God demons? Is this talking about the angels who have fallen? That they have fallen, and then the demons go and they possess people, and then those possessed people have a relation. We don't know. We don't know what's going on here. So why does it matter? Well, verse 3 tells us, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Whatever is going on here, God is so outraged by that he limits the lifespan of humanity. Wherever you decide you want to you hold on, on, on the sons of God and the daughters of men, whether that's godly men who, who went and married ungodly women, or whether that's angels who fell corrupted by lust, or whether it's demons who went in and they possessed people and then they formed a union with women, what, whatever the case may be, and wherever you want to land on that the, the reality is whatever this was, it was not good, and God is so outraged by it that he says that's it i'm limiting the lifespan of humanity now, if this is some sort of angelic demonic thing that that's going on, we can kind of we can kind of understand god's response here. It seems rational, but if this is a case of godly men falling in love with wicked women, why would God be so outraged to the point that he would say, I'm going to limit the lifespan of humanity? Why would God do that? And the reality is this, that God's primary concern for each and every one of us is the condition of our soul. God's primary concern for each and every one of us is the condition of our soul. And what we've seen here, if this is a case of godly men going after wicked women, we see that the condition of their souls has become corrupted. That they're no longer following after God. That's no longer their main pursuit. And the reason we know that is, is what we see later on in the passage. So let's continue. Because if you think, wow, this is, this is kind of weird and this is kind of mysterious so far, it gets weirder. The, the Nephilim, verse 4, The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old and the men of renown. So we just went from weird to weirder. So the Nephilim, they were giants. They were giants. Massive giants. I heard this week that the Guinness Book of World Records, a new record's been set by a woman in Turkey who's over seven feet tall. Uh, I mean, so there are still some really tall people, and if you've ever been around a professional basketball player, uh, you know that you see them on TV and they're big. you see them in person, they're massive. I mean massive the The Nephilim were giants they were they were giants, they were massive, they're legendary as it goes on they're they're men of renown. people are still. They're still talking, when, when the book of Genesis, when Moses wrote the book of Genesis, they're still talking about these giants, these legendary people, and they're also extinct. They're also extinct by, by the time that Genesis was, was written. These were the mighty men who were of old. They're, they're gone. They're extinct. So something's going on here with the, with the sons of God and the daughters of men, or excuse me, yeah, the sons of God and the daughters of men. And God links that with the Nephilim, who we know are giants and they're legendary and they've been wiped out. And you might be scratching your head and saying, why does this matter? What's the point? And that's a really good question. We're six chapters into the Bible And God, because all Scripture is from God, God wants us to know about this incident. He wants us to know about the sons of God and the daughters of men. He wants us to know about the Nephilim, but he doesn't give us all the details that we want to know. And I told you way back when we started at the beginning, there are going to be times that you're going to be frustrated with me because you're going to want answers that I simply don't have. I don't have the answer to this. And if God wanted us to have all the answers to this, he would have gone into great detail about what exactly was the sons of God hooking up with the daughters of men. What exactly and who exactly were the Nephilim? But we don't have all those answers. So why does this matter? And why is this important? And why has God put this in Scripture for us? Now we get to verses 5 and 6. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Remember, the third chapter. By Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve have messed everything up. By Genesis chapter 6, God regrets creating humanity. It broke his heart. And here's the description that we're given of humanity at the time. That there is wickedness that is great in the earth, every intention of his heart was only evil continually. Did you catch that? Not that every once in a while there was an evil desire. Not that every once in a while there were some thoughts that strayed a little bit. No, no, no. The description that we're given is that continually the only thought that was produced was evil. And that's the state of humanity. And I know that the news of the day can be distressing and depressing. And I know that people look around and just wonder what is going on, what is happening in our society. I know it can feel overwhelming We see the horrors, and and sometimes we wonder, has it really ever been this bad? And sometimes that leads people to all kinds of conclusions like, well, Jesus has to come back now. I mean, just look at the state of things. Jesus has to come back now. Remember that Scripture was never authored with an American insight and viewpoint. Okay, It just wasn't. And so even if things get really bad in, in our country, that isn't an indicator that Jesus must return right now. But but even if, if you scale beyond the country and you scale at the world as a whole and you look and you say, Look at how horrible things are. Has it ever been this bad before? The answer is yeah, it's been worse. It's been worse. And that doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't mean that, that we shouldn't revile and, and just hate all the, the horrors and, and the things that we see on a daily basis and in the, in the reports of just brokenness and, and, and just unspeakable acts that occur. But this isn't as bad as it's ever been. No, it's been worse. Genesis goes on. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. God, seeing the condition of humanity, just wants to go nuclear and wipe them out. God sees the condition of humanity and he, I mean, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and the birds of the heavens, for I am sorry I have made them. You know, we don't often feel sorry for God. It's hard to feel sorry for somebody who's all powerful and all knowing. Yet yeah, last week, we talked about the heartache. The heartache of a parent who sees their kid make a wrong choice. The heartache of a parent when their kid chooses a destructive path. The heartache of a parent when the kid that they have prayed for and parented and longed for and prayed over makes the decision that they don't need God to be a part of their life. We talked about the angst and the heartache that the parent feels. And and here's God, who loves our kids more than even we do. And that's something that's hard for us to fathom. But it's true. In all of His creation, He looks out. And the thought of humanity is how to be evil, and only evil. And that's the thought that is on their mind continually. And the picture we see here is just how much that breaks God's heart. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah found favor. In a world of wickedness, in a world of distress, in a world that is depressing when we look out and we see, the route that the people are on, we see the direction that people are headed in a world that is headed for destruction, in a world that is depressing. Choose to be Noah. Choose to be Noah. And you're gonna feel isolated and you're gonna feel alone. You're gonna feel like you're the only person on that journey sometimes. And you're gonna look at around you, and you're gonna say, I live in a world that I literally do not understand. And maybe you're right but you can still choose to be Noah. And you can still make the choice that no matter what anybody else chooses and no matter what anybody else is going to do, you're going to be Noah. You're going to live your life in such a way that you honor God with the choices that you make. And you may be reviled for it, you may be mocked and ridiculed for it, but you have decided that you are going to follow after God and you are going to do what is right, even if nobody else is following that have. And here's one of the hard things that's hard for some of us to accept. That if you, if you choose to live your life that way, and if you choose to be a Noah in a world full of destruction, if you choose to be a Noah, you can't change or control anyone else. You can't change or control anyone else. And for some, for some people, that's really hard. Because you want to make everybody else's choices for them. You want to dictate what everyone else does. But life doesn't work that way. And for you, it can be incredibly hard. When you dictate the choices for people, and you dictate them because you want what's best for them, and they reject those choices that you've tried to dictate upon them, that can be incredibly difficult for you to accept. You can't change anyone. You can't control anyone. You are responsible for yourself. And in a world that is that that just doesn't make sense so often, you have the choice to make. And your choice should be that I'm going to be Noah. Even if nobody else follows that direction. I'm going to be Noah. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I want to encourage those of you who follow Jesus, those of you who are trying to live lives of integrity, those of you who are trying to do what's right, those of you who are living and following after God in a world that's increasingly saying, that's stupid, it's outdated, it doesn't matter. Why would you choose to do that? And I just want to encourage you because sometimes it may feel like like nobody sees and nobody cares. And it may seem like the only time people see you, the only time people care, is to mock you and ridicule you and make fun of you. And I just want to encourage you that while it may seem like you're all alone and it may seem like no one notices, that God sees. And God notices the things you do. matter even when you think no one's looking in the height of the pandemic one of my friends was getting food delivered and he put in his delivery order and about an hour later they brought the food to his house and he sat down and ate his food when all of a sudden he got a notification from his doorbell cam that there was some activity And he watched as the delivery driver, at the end of his driveway, got out of their car and picked up the mailbox that they'd just run over when they backed out of his driveway. Tried to stand it up, watched as it fell down, got back in their car, and drove away. All this captured on video. The driver left, thinking nobody knew, that nobody had seen it, and yet we live in a world where everyone has a camera all the time. Now, I'd love to tell you that there was some great story of justice that he reached out to the company and told the delivery, told him about the delivery driver, and the delivery driver came over and made it right, paid for the mailbox, apologized, said, Hey, I panicked, I, I, I just lost my mind, and I left. I'd love to tell you that's how the story ended. But it's not. He reached out to the company and got a form response, he pushed the matter and he was told that as soon as the food is delivered to him that the driver is no longer considered on duty for the delivery and he's responsible to fix his mailbox what do we do when we live in a world where everyone's watching what do we do when we live in a world where it seems like nobody cares anymore about doing what's right? What do we do when we look and we just have to open up our phone or turn on the news and all we see is wickedness on display? What do we do? Why does God, why does God include this? Why is this important for us to know? What's well, important for us to know for a few reasons. Number one, because God sees what we're experiencing. God sees what we're dealing with. And while God may not act in the way that we want Him to and in the timeline that we want Him to, make no mistake, God is grieved. And He's at work. Second, in a world that's just making horrible choices, choose to be Noah. Say It doesn't matter what anybody else does. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. I'm going to make the right choice. I'm going to do my best. Third, as we talked about last week, make sure that we're modeling this. To our kids and future generations, and Noah had three sons that Noah instills in his kids and the future generations. I know nobody else in the world's operating this way. Literally, no one else in the world is doing this, but we are. We're going to do what's right. We're going to honor God, even when no one else does. And that's why I have such a heart and such a passion for the church to rally around families. It's it's not our job at Lakeside. It is not our job at Lakeside to teach your kids and your grandkids spiritual truths. That's your job. Our job is to come alongside of you and reinforce those truths, to encourage you, to love you, to support you, to cheer you on, to give you the resources you need. We want you to parent. We want you to, you've got to be, you've got to be the biggest influence in your kids' and grandkids' lives for Jesus. Because our time with them is so limited and so short. But we want to rally around you. And we want to support you in every opportunity we have to get your kids and your grandkids. We want to love on them. And we want to point them to Jesus. And we want to cheer you on. Because it's incredibly hard to raise kids and point them to Jesus. And we understand that. So what we've said is we're just going to be a church that champions you and supports you and helps you in that. I know with the, with the two different services right now, it, it can be hard. And, and sometimes if it's not right in front of us, we don't, we don't always see it. Right. So, so I just want to let you know, maybe you don't realize, but, but last week we had 30 kids, 11 and under here. Between our two services, we had 14 babies, all right? 14 babies in, in the littles, and I say babies probably three and under, okay? But but 14, I mean, they're still babies to me at that point. 14 of those. 14 of those. Some of you wondered, well, why don't we go back to, to one service? 14 of those in that room? You lost your mind. And you don't volunteer for Lakeside Littles. You know what they're doing because you don't volunteer for it. So you're like, mm-mm. Why don't we go to one? Yeah, no! Nobody would volunteer for Lakeside Littles if we did one service in that room with 14. No. No. But we're having an impact. And we want to we want to continue to come around parents and love them and support them. But here's the truth. It's not just hard to be a kid and follow Jesus. You live in a culture that doesn't get it. That can beat you down. Sometimes it can be hard. And that doesn't mean we're going to quit. It doesn't mean that we're going to throw in the towel. Noah didn't. But it feels so much better when you walk alongside somebody else. And that's why we're a community. And for the last year and a half, there's been a pandemic. And, and we don't judge anybody who's made choices that they have to socially do. We completely do whatever you have to do to stay healthy. It's why we stream. It's, it's why we, we try to, to minister to people who aren't able to come out in other ways. And we're going to continue to do that. We want you to be healthy. We want you to be cautious. We want you to make wise choices. But for those who, who are vaccinated, for those who, who just say, I'm over it, I'm over the social distancing, whatever happens, happens. W- where you are in that, we just we understand that we're a community. Which means we show up and we worship together. Which means we show up and we have fun together. Because it's like Friendsgiving, it's, it's more than a meal. I mean, it's going to be an incredible meal for those of you 55 plus. Those of you 54 and under, you can just tune me out for a minute because you aren't invited. But for those of you who are 55, plus, unless you're married to somebody 55 and over, then we'll let you in. Dating. Maybe if it's serious, okay, uh but but if it's just attraction, like we talked about earlier, you're not making the cut, all right, there you go. We got to have some standards, all right, so fifty five plus, so find something you like about them other than the way they look, and then you can bring them all right fifty five plus friends giving, it's more than just a meal. It's gonna be a great meal. I don't know, maybe we'll play some canaster or something at the table. I don't know, but it, it's more than that. It's about community. Somebody to share your successes with. Somebody to walk beside you when you get a diagnosis. Somebody to pray with you when you're in a tough spot and you just don't know what you're going to do. In a world that's wicked, in a world that's depressing, in a world that's full of distress, choose to be Noah. We can be fascinated by the sons of God and daughters of men. We can be fascinated by the giants. But the point of Genesis 6 isn't to tell us about giants and it isn't to tell us about either godly men who fell in love with wicked women or angels who made terrible decisions or or demon possession. That's not the point. The point is that We're going to live in some wicked times. And this is how God wants us to respond, and this is what God wants us to do. And the challenge and encouragement for every single one of us is to be Noah. No matter what anyone else says, no matter what anyone else does, we live our lives to please God. And we try to honor him, even when it doesn't make sense to anyone else. God, I pray that we would be people who make the decision in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives that we're going to honor you. That come what may, we're going to honor you. no matter if we're misunderstood, no matter if we're ridiculed, no matter if we're made fun of. I pray, God, for the person who's holding on, who's torn between the desire to want to honor you and the feeling It's so much better if they don't. Their life would be more fun. It'd be more exciting. They'd have more friends, more opportunities. And I pray even right now, God, that your spirit would just penetrate their heart. That it would pierce them, and God, it would just remind them there is nothing greater. There is nothing better than living a life that honors you. That in a world of wickedness, they would choose to do what's right. And I pray we as a church would move beyond just just gathering together for a church service. And we would be a real community of love and support, relationships that encourages and challenges and, and pushes and inspires and loves. Because God, sometimes it's hard to live for you So help us inspire one another to do it and empower us to honor you with our lives, Jesus, we ask. In your name we pray. Amen.